Hello, Cornerstone family. It is so good to be back with you, and I am excited at where we are in this sermon series called The Journey. I'm hoping that you are seeing Christ in a way that perhaps you've not seen him before, in a way that is even more beautiful, that is even more illustrious. He is preeminent. He is the creator. He is the Lord. He is the king of all kings. And we are going to continue to look at him, and we're going to see the impact of what it means to be with Christ. Can I encourage you, get your Bibles. You know, if you've been at this church for very long, we're going to be looking at the Bible, the Word of God. Please go get your Bible if you do not have it. And I'm going to share a story with you while you go get your Bible and open up to Colossians chapter 3. Years ago, when I lived in Virginia, I worked in a health and fitness club, and my best friend, Mike Redman, worked with me. And we were working in there, and this was a massive club in Lynchburg, Virginia. And there was a man by the name of Steve that we had gotten to know, and he was working out with his partner, and, and this guy was huge. I mean, you're talking about muscles and muscles on top of muscles, and and he was doing the leg squats on the machine, and he wasn't doing it right. And so Mike Redman, one of the trainers, my best friend, and I'm there as well, but Mike says, I'm going to go talk to Steve, and I'm going to show him how to do that. So he walks over, and Steve finished his set, and he said, Steve, do you mind if I show you how to use this machine? Because the way you're using it is not the way that the machine was designed. Steve stood up, I'm never going to forget this, he stood up and he put his arm around Mike and he turned Mike to face the wall where there were wall-to-wall mirrors and he pointed to their reflection he said, look at you and look at me, you're going to help me with this machine I laughed so hard. Mike, to his credit, just simply said, okay. He walked away, very humble. But that's a memory that's ingrained in my mind. And I want to bring that into what I think Paul is doing for us in this book of Colossians, what he's going to be doing today. He's going to be putting his arm around you, and he's going to be putting his arm around me. And he's going to turn us, and he's going to Help us look straight into the word, the mirror of God's word. And he's not going to compare himself to us. He's not going to compare us to anybody else. He's going to simply say, let me tell you what you ought to see. You ought to see someone who is with Christ. You ought to be able to see someone who can take off the old self. And you ought to see somebody that could put on the new self. That's what Paul is going to show us in that reflection of the mirror of God's Word. So with that, I hope you've got your Bibles open. We're going to jump right into it. We've got a lot to talk about, a lot of biblical real estate to cover. And we're going to start with verse 1 of chapter 3. And I'm not going to go very far before we spend a lot of this message just looking at this. Here's what Paul says, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ... Now, I'm going to actually take you now to verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. Now, I want you to think with me about that word with. It's actually a pretty interesting word, but you can use it in a couple different ways. For instance, 
You might be married to somebody in a lousy marriage, and though you're with that person, you might feel really distant. You could be a student in a graduating class of 600. You are with that graduating class, but you might feel miles away from everybody else. So you can actually be with somebody, but very distant at the same time, or at least feel very distant. That's not the word with here. The Greek language has a very nuanced meaning of this word. It means fundamentally joined at the very core. So I want you to know that, and I want you to now bring that definition. Let's bring it back into verse 1. You ready? If then you have been raised with Christ, you're in union with him. You are fundamentally joined with him. Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So we've got already a lot of truth that we need to unpack. We need to try to understand all of what this really means. What does it mean to be with Christ? That's a beautiful concept. To be united with Christ. We looked at it last week. To be in Christ and Christ is in us, chapter 2. And, and to be with Christ and Christ is with us. Well, whatever this means, which we're going to look at, you've got to know this. We're at chapter 3. And chapter 3 is where Paul begins to turn from orthodoxy, that means right doctrine, the truth of God's word, to orthopraxy, which means right practice. So now we're turning to, well, how do you take all of this truth of chapters 1 and 2 and begin to apply it in your life? So now we're going to begin seeing what truth looks like when it begins to live. What truth looks like when it begins to walk and it begins to operate into our lives. What's it mean to be with Christ well, we come into union with Christ by faith. Faith is the means to be able to be joined with Christ. We looked last week as being the, the, the wedding vows in a marriage ceremony, that when a couple takes their vows, that is when God joins them together. Well, we are with Christ. We are joined into Christ. We are in solidarity with Christ by faith. What is faith? Now, I keep taking different looks at that because it is so poorly understood in today's uh, Christian church. So we need to understand again, what is faith? I'm going to take you all the way back to July 15th. This is 1859. And there was a daredevil by the name of, uh, what was his name? Blondin. I had to go look at my outline for a second. His name was Blondin. And Blondin did all of these incredible feats. He strung a cable across the Niagara Falls River, right across the falls, 160 feet high on the American side and then anchored to the Canadian side. And he walked across that cable, July 15th, 1859, to the stunned crowd that applauded madly when he made it to the other side. I mean, they didn't know if he was going to live or not. He decided that he needed to, do, needed to do something even a little bit more incredible than that. So he got a wheelbarrow 
You might have heard this story. He got a wheelbarrow and he actually pushed that wheelbarrow all the way across that cable from one side to the other. He landed on the American side. He stepped down onto the American soil and all the crowd erupted in thunderous applause. And then he quieted them all and he said this, how many of you think that I could push this wheelbarrow? How many of you believe I could push this wheelbarrow across that river with somebody inside of it? And all the crowd yelled, yes, we believe you could do it. Do it, Blondin. And then he asked everybody in that crowd, who would volunteer to be in the wheelbarrow? And stunned silence. You see, it's not faith to believe that Blondin could push the wheelbarrow with a person inside of it across the river. Faith means more than that. It is not only believing in something that is true and being utterly persuaded of it. It's, it's, it's being willing to put yourself in the wheelbarrow. It's surrendering your life to that truth. It is yielding your life to that truth. It is putting your eternal life to the truth that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and resurrected to bring your salvation. You see, that's what faith is biblically. And the moment that you believed... The moment that you yielded your life, the moment that you submitted to Jesus Christ as the Lord and the King of all kings, not only your Savior, but your Lord, and you gave him your life, trusting that his death and his burial and his resurrection atoned for your sins, great, created your forgiveness so that you could have eternal life. That very moment of your belief, your faith, God the Father joined you with Jesus the Son. You are with him. He is with you. Now, I hope you understood that because this is going to have a lot of implications, and we're going to look at that a little bit more. But look at what Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1 again. If then you have been raised with Christ, well, if you've been raised, the word actually should be since. It shouldn't be if. Since you have been raised with Christ, it's already a fact, it's a past tense reality, then seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There is so much truth in this. Somehow, and it's very difficult to explain, but somehow it is true that where Christ is right now, Christian, you are. And where Christ is right now is seated at the side of the throne of his heavenly father. He is in heaven ruling. And because Christ is in heaven next to his father, we who are Christians who are with Christ, we are seated in heaven next to the father. What does that even mean? What are the implications of that? Well, I, I can tell you this, that when any ancient king 
invited you up to that raised throne and allowed you to sit at his right side, that meant several things. It meant fellowship with the king. It meant intimacy with the king. It meant that you had the ear of the king and that he could speak clearly and personally to you. And it also meant that you could watch and observe and participate in his rule. You see, if God is sovereign, if that means that he has the power to bring all things into conformity to his will and to his purpose, we have a right-hand seat to watch it happen. So when calamity, Christian, comes into your life, when a trial blows into your life, when something happens that you did not see coming and it has knocked you for a loop, it has taken your feet out from under you, you are seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. And I'm going to tell you that he is looking over to you and he is telling you, don't panic. Don't worry, I'm on the throne, you can see it. I'm on the throne, you're with my son. And the very same love that I have for my son, I have for you. The same blessings that I have given to Jesus, my son, you legally have them all. Do you understand what I'm saying, Christian? This is the amazing truth of the gospel. If you are with Christ, then all of the legal blessings that the Son enjoys are yours. Not most of them, all of them. This is the amazing truth of what it means to be in Christ, to be with Christ. Somehow, you, ha you and I have died with Christ. That means that we were nailed on that cross along with Christ. But not because we were guilty, because the Father had taken all of your guilt and put that onto the Son. But because we are with Christ, our old self, the Bible says, was crucified. And when he was buried, we were buried with him, Romans 6. That means that the old self was buried with Christ. And if you remember that when Christ was raised from the dead and he came out of that grave, yet his grave clothes stayed in the tomb. That's the old self, Christian. Your old nature, your old self did not come out of that tomb. It did not come off of that cross. You have risen with a new self that Romans says is a recreation that's what it means to be with Christ in his death, with Christ in his resurrection. You are a brand new creature the moment you believed. Well, there are some massive implications of this, and let me illustrate it in a couple ways. One, this was probably about 15 years ago, and I think probably the whole church was tired of the way that I would dress. I never really dressed up. I was pretty casual. I liked to preach in my sneakers and my tennis shoes. Finally, one of the men who happened to be very, very high up, the president of a clothing company, said, Tim, I want you to meet me at my office on such and such a date. So I met him at his office. 
And because I am with him, and he is the president of the company, we were able to go past all of the staff in the office. Nobody even wondered, why is that strange man with our president going into the warehouse? Nobody even wondered. I was with the president. He took me into the warehouse, all the warehouse workers. Nobody wondered, why was this president taking article of clothes after article of clothing off of the racks, giving it to me, piling it back into his office, probably a couple thousand dollars worth of brand new clothes. You see, I was able to enjoy the privilege, the blessing of an entirely new wardrobe, not because I had paid for it, not because I was the president of the company, not because certainly that I earned it. It's only because I was with the president. And because I was with the president of the company, I had access to all of these clothes. Well, Christian friend, it's the same thing with Jesus. We are with Christ. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the preeminent God of the universe. He is the creator. And because we are with him, we have access to all of these blessings. I'll give you another illustration, and then you're going to see a problem that I think most Christians have. Far as I know, this is a true story. I heard about this about 20 years ago from Kent Hughes in one of his sermons. And Kent Hughes told the story of a slave who was loved by his master, and his master was extremely wealthy. His master died, and the will of the master was to emancipate, to give the slave his freedom upon his death. And when his master died, the slave was set free. And he began to live in his humble home, but he didn't really have the means to be able to earn an income. He didn't know what else to do. He didn't have a job. And he decided that he would go to the bank that he used to go to all the time running errands for his master. And he walks into the bank and he asks the bank teller, is there a way that I could take out a loan? I need to buy some food. The bank teller knew his name, immediately got the bank manager to come over, and the bank manager walked this now freed slave back to his office. And the bank manager said to the now free slave, did you get the written material that we sent to you. We sent you a file. We sent you some papers. And those papers told you that the master deeded all of his wealth to you. And the slave said, I don't know how to read. I didn't know how to read it. And so the bank manager explained to him, you not only have enough food or money to go get food, you have over a million dollars, which in the 1800s was an extravagant amount of money. And the bank manager explained all of this to him and that this money is his now because of his master's love for him. And when he finished, the, the now freed slave said to him, well, would it be possible to get enough money to buy a bag of potatoes? You see how incredible that statement was. He had over a million dollars, and he's wondering if that's enough money to be able to buy a meal. You see, that's the problem 
<clears throat> for a lot of us Christians. We might have riches in Christ by position, but we don't know how to get them to function in our life. See, we are with Christ. We are seated with him in the heavenly places. We are at the right hand of the Father. All, <coughs> excuse me, all of the legal blessings of Christ are ours. I wonder if anybody else is struggling with allergies like I am. See, that's our position. We are with Christ. We have untold spiritual riches. But do you know how to live them out? Do you know how they can function in your life? And I'm convinced that most Christians don't. And Paul's going to tell us, he's got his arm around his, our shoulders, he's going to look in that mirror, and he's going to say, listen, you are with Christ. Do you understand just how incredible that truth is? Let me tell you how incredible it is. First of all, because you are with Christ, you can put off your old self. Now look with me in the Bible. We're going to look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is unearthly, or what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In other words, because of these, God's judgment will be coming. That's his wrath. It's his judgment. Verse 7, in these you too once walked. Do you see the past tense? You used to walk in these. You used to commit these sins. This is all of what your old self was about. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. And then he goes on, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Now, let me tell you a magnificent truth. Christian, this is only true for those of us in Christ. Let me tell you something before I even tell you that truth. Do you realize that the name Christian, the word Christian, the title Christian only occurs three times in all of the Bible? The preferred way by far for the Bible to title us, to refer to us, those of us who have put our faith in the work of Jesus Christ, who have come into our spiritual reality, who are with Christ, by far the favorite title of the Bible is to be in Christ. We are those who are in Christ. That is far more prevalent than the name Christian. What Paul is saying is this, for us who are in Christ, the old self was crucified with Christ. The old self was buried with Christ. And the old self never came out of the tomb. Well, what is the old self? You've got to be asking this. You've got to be wondering, well, what is it? The old self is that energy, that moral movement in the center of our being that rebels against God, that defies God, that wants our way more than God's way. It is the, the past 
disposition. It is the way that we were. It was what we were captured into. It was a prison that held us fast. You see, the old self is a prison. And there's no way for anybody to escape it. There's no way for anybody to get out of that prison called the old self, but through Christ. It is only by faith in Jesus, being in him, being with him, that you are going to be crucified with Christ. That means God nailed your old disposition. He nailed that old prison for your soul into the cross, and then he buried it. And just like Christ came out of that tomb with none of those old stained graves clothes, we've come out of the tomb and that old cell stayed in it. Now, you know that now. I've explained that to you. Paul says that. That's your positional truth, but is that your functional truth? Is that the way that you're living? See, most of the Christians that I know of, that I work with as a pastor, they don't really believe that. They might know it theoretically, but they're functioning as if it's not true. Let me tell you and give you an example of how that happens and why that might be happening in you. Think of a prisoner that's been in prison for 25 years. And all of a sudden, after 25 years, new evidence came to light. And that new evidence showed that this prisoner never actually committed that crime. That that guilt was somebody else. He wasn't guilty. And Christian, let's just stop there for a second because if you are with Christ, the Father views you as having never committed a crime because he took all of your sins and he put them onto Christ and he treated Christ as if Jesus had committed every single one of your sins. All the guilt went onto the sin bearer. He was our guilt offering. And now Christ or the Father looks at you, Christian, as if you lived the perfect righteous life of Christ. Do you see the big exchange on the cross? That's positional truth, but is that functioning in your life? So all of a sudden, this prisoner, after 25 years, gets the warden to open up the jail cell, and the warden says, you can go free. You're innocent. I would think that that prisoner is going to be stunned. I think he's probably going to go, I don't know how to live free. But I'll tell you this, that our own Fifth Amendment doesn't allow for anybody to be tried for the same crime twice. Double jeopardy. So that prisoner, once declared free, is free indeed. He is free forever. Christian, God has declared you free because of Christ. You can never, ever be charged with your crimes again. You are now no longer under condemnation. You are forgiven. But let me tell you what's going to happen to that prisoner. We know this happens. It's called recidivism. If they don't re-crime and get back into jail, they go out into their freedom. And when they see a police officer, there's going to be a moment where they are going to be jarred. Is he coming to get me to put me back in prison? 
And when they hear a siren, there's going to be a moment where everything in them freezes and paralyzes and stops wondering for a moment, is that siren for me? Are they coming to put me back in prison? Well, let me tell you that you can be free positionally, but not function in that freedom. So Paul puts his arm around you and he puts his arm around me and he says, listen, you put your faith in Christ. You've surrendered. You've given everything to Christ who is your Lord and Savior. And you are now in him and he is in you and you are with him. You died on that cross and you are in the heavenly places. You are next to the Father. You are free. And I need you to look in the mirror because that's your position. Now you can start to function. You've got the power, Paul says, to lay aside that old self. It's not even with you. So stop living as if it is. Put off sexual immorality. Christian, do you understand that you've got the power because you are with Christ to say no to covetousness, to say no to immorality? It might feel so strong. You might have traded in something for an idol And that idol might have its grip in you for a time, but you can rise up, not in your own power, but because you have life in Christ. You are with Christ. He is in you. His power has separated you from the old self, and he has given you a new self recreated, and it's going to be just like him. Look at verse 10, and we're going to find that. Here's point number three. Let's put on the new self. Verse number 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, let me tell you something that you need to know. In fact, I would really encourage you to mark up your Bibles, write it in there, because if you're like me, you're going to forget this. You've got to indelibly anchor this in your mind. The Greek tense So the Bible has all kinds of tenses, just like the English language does as well. The Greek tense for put off your old self, which, by the way, in the Greek meant take off your clothes. What do you take off? Take off everything that resembles the way you used to be. That Greek tense is a once and done tense. You do it one time, positionally, and you function in that truth. You don't keep beating yourself up. You don't keep trying to convince yourself, I guess I put my, new, my, my old self back on. That's not even possible. You cannot even gain access to your old self. It was buried with Christ. It never came out of the grave. All you are now, Christian, is a new creation. But you can be a new creation living like the old. And so Paul says, come on, once and for all, you can do this. Take it off. Put it off. Don't go back. Don't live like that. You've got the power to go forward. You've got the power to live victoriously. Why? Because Christ lives in you and you are with him. I want to tell you that I think one of the most glorious truths of the gospel, but you've got to turn your Bible to Philippians. Just go back one book, and I'm going to ask everybody to do it. It's just a couple pages. Go to Philippians chapter 2 and look at verse 12 with me, and this is so beautiful. 
Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only when I'm around you, we all tend to obey a little bit more when the authorities around us, not only when, I'm in, when you're in my presence, but much more in my absence. And then he tells them to do this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if he stopped right there, Christian brother and sister, you and I are going to be miserable because we're going to fail. We're not going to be able to do it. You'll start doing it today right after this service because you're like, wow, man, I am a new creation. I don't need to give in to pornography. I don't need to give in to covetousness. I don't need to gossip. I don't need to have an idol in my life. I'm a new creation. And and for an hour or or two hours, you're going to do really well. You're juiced up. You're ready to go. But you're eventually going to fail just like I am. So Paul goes on in verse 13. He says this, because it is God, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So here's the truth. God is working in you at the very deepest part of your being to change your disposition to change your desires, to change your wants, to change the desires of your dreams, to change your expectations. He's working all the way down in the very center of your being that the Bible calls the heart. And he is changing that because the, bo- the gospel never compels, it impels. He's giving you new desires so that you want to do what God wants. And you don't want to do what God doesn't want you to do. It's all about a changed desire. You see, that's what the gospel is doing. That's what it means that you are with Christ and Christ is with you. This is what the Spirit of God is doing. And what he's doing is he is renewing you. And that's exactly what we're about to see. Look at verse 10 again. You got to go back to Colossians chapter 2, or chapter 3. Put on the new self, which is being renewed. Can I tell you what that word means? It means renovated. It means, it really means what it would mean if you bought an old house that needed a lot of construction. And now that old house belongs to you. The previous owner, the old self in this way, and this means they don't have any rights to that old house. It's been deeded. The title is transferred to you. But now the work of renovation starts. Now you're being overhauled. You are being renewed. You've got the new self, but it's being renewed so that it looks more like Christ, that you become more like Christ. But how is it happening? You're being renewed, verse 10, in knowledge. You're being renewed by God's word. Well, we're at point three. And point three, remember, it says this, so put on your new self. We could put on our new self because by position, that's all we've got, Christian. You've got the new self. You don't have the old one anymore. But not only is that true positionally, it's being renewed. The Spirit of God is working in you. By the way, he's doing this. He's increasing your love, your joy, your patience, your kindness, your gentleness, your self-control. All of those fruit of the Spirit. 
Because that's the character of Christ. If you want to know what Jesus looks like, it's Galatians 5.22. That's his character. And the Spirit of God is producing it in you. How? As you walk with him, as you are reading God's word, and as you are bringing God's word into you. Now let me show you that in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. See, it's not about getting in God's word as much as it's getting God's word into you. That sounds very subtle in its difference, almost like a semantic thing, but it's massive. It's huge. You got to bring God's word into you. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, and then it goes down deeper and deeper and deeper into the core of your being where it begins to separate your thoughts. Is this really the way that Christ thinks? Is that thought that you've got towards your boss that you're pretty angry at, is that really the thoughts you should have? Is the the thoughts that you have towards yourself because you don't like yourself, is that really the way that Jesus thinks of you? It separates God's word, your thoughts and your attitudes of your heart. Do you have the right attitude towards your neighbor? Do you have the right attitude towards the one who has offended you? Do you have the right attitude towards your children, towards your parents, towards your loved ones, towards your spouse? Do you have the right attitude with your money and with how you ought to spend your time? You see, the word of God is going all the way down into the core of your being, and it is renovating, it is renewing so that you think like Christ and that you have an attitude that is like Christ. This is the the overhaul that is happening now in your new self. Now, I told you that the that put off your old self and put on your new self, that's a once and done action in the Greek. But the word renovate is a continuous action. And it's happening every day. As you hide the word of God in you, as you memorize the word of God, as you by faith yield to the word of God, as you teach, look at what it says, teach and admonish, verse 16, one another. As somebody comes to you and says, listen, I don't think you understand what God's word means in this area of your life. Would you sit under this teaching? And you humbly do. You're bringing that in so that it dwells richly in you. And the renovation is happening so that you are living out who you are in your new self. And you're not living any kind of resemblance of who you were in your old self. And then Paul says in verse 16, he goes on, he says, listen, you've got to sing psalms with each other. You've got to sing hymns with each other. You've got to sing spiritual songs. Well, what's the difference in those? Well, psalms were doctrinal truths. Right out of the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, and they sang them to each other in the early church. And then spiritual songs, the third one, they were testifying to one another. Those were songs of testimony that they would sing to one another. And then hymns were songs of experiences, or rather songs where they sang to one another the the beautiful adoration of God, the praises of God, the exaltation of God. They were songs of praise. You see, the new life, the new self should live very differently than the old self. 
And I want to show you even just a little quick, very, a little bit, very quickly of how that should look. Look at your chapter 3 again. Verse 12. Or actually, let's go back one more verse to verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. What's here? The very first word of that verse Here is the church. And what God is saying through Paul is that, listen, when you come to the church, you're coming to a collection of people, chapter 113, that have been taken out of the domain of darkness, put into the kingdom of the beloved son, who are in Christ, each of them, and Christ is in each of them, who are each with God and were put to death with God, and the old self died and was buried, and it never came out of the grave, and you are with Christ in the heavenly places, and you are seated next to the Father. You've got intimacy. You've got fellowship. You've got his ear. You're watching his sovereign rule be executed And the church is made up of all these people that have experienced this positional reality and are learning because they're being renovated day by day as they bring the word of Christ into their hearts. They are learning to live out these truths in their lives. But look what he says, not Jew or Greek. Jews hated Greeks. Jews hated Greeks. Greeks hated Jews. Circumcised and uncircumcised. There was a big division in the early church. Well, if you're circumcised, then you are really saved and you are really godly. And if you're not, then you're not really godly. It's like today in the, in the more of the Pentecostal church. If you've never spoken in tongues, then you're not quite all the way saved. But if you have spoken in tongues, you are saved. And then barbarians, uneducated, and Scythians who fight all the time, and slaves who have masters, and masters who have slaves, all of them had come together in the church, and there was no more division. There was no prejudice. There was no racism. Nobody was higher than the other. They were all in Christ, and Christ was in them all. There was a love for one another that bound them together, what Paul says now. Why? Because they were chosen. They were holy. They were beloved. They were elected by God. They were holy, meaning they were set apart for God's own purposes. They were beloved. The same love that the Father has for Jesus, the Father has for them, and the Father has for you. See, Christian, if you ever encounter in our church or any church racism, or if God reveals racism or prejudice in your own heart, listen, that's got to go. You've got to put it off. You've got to kill it. You've got to put it to death. It has no place in the church. It is not part of your new self. It it tarnishes the name of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm out of time So I'm going to sum all of this up, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to get back into worship, and you're going to see a little bit of a video by a couple people that I hope you really listen to. It's going to whet your appetite into things that are going to come. Christian, by faith, you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. You are with him. You you died with him. 
Your old self is crucified. It did not come out of that grave. You are with Christ now, seated at the heavenly places. You are watching the rule of God. You are experiencing the intimacy with God. You are, you are familiar with God. You have the ear of God. You have fellowship with God. So put off anything in your life that resembles the old self. It's not with you anymore, but we can walk like it is. You see, who we are in truth needs to be who we are in life. So put on your new self. It was created to be like Jesus, and the Spirit of God is renovating it every single day as you bring the Word of God into yourself and you let it dwell there richly. And when it dwells there richly, you're going to know who you are. You are chosen. You are holy. You are beloved. You're not going to have racism. You're not going to have prejudice. In fact, when you see it, it's going to make you angry because it's disgusting to God. It defiles the name of Christ. It has no place in the Christian. Instead, you're going to love, and you're going to love those who are in your church, and you're going to love those who are around you, and you're going to have the power to be able to live out the name of Christ. That's the truth. That's who you are, Christian, in position. Is it who you are in life? Is that the way you are living? Is that the way you are functioning? Now, let me close really quickly. If you're listening to this message and you've not put your faith in Christ, you are still under the disposition of your old self. It still has you in prison. And though you are capable of doing good things, you're not capable of doing good things to the demand and the level that God has for you. All your good things are going to fall short. You have no defense the wrath of God is coming, but you can escape that wrath by hiding in Christ, by putting your faith in Jesus. And the moment you put your faith in Jesus, the Father will join you with the Son, and you will be in him, and you will be with him, your old self gone, your new self here. It will be renovated day by day. You will know how to love, and you will be stronger day by day in Christ. Can I invite you to pray and ask God to forgive you and to yield and bend your knee to Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, your Savior and your Master. Give him your life and let him save your soul and give you life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth in, in, in this book of Colossians. It is bigger than we can even understand. But I trust and I pray, Lord, that we would be Christians who know who we are by position, and begin more and more living that out in our life. Renovate us, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, and let us be the people of God that bring honor to your name. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless, church. I hope you have a great week of bringing the word of God inside your heart. Amen.